Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good evening and welcome to the History of Alchemy podcast. I'm Travis Dow. And I'm Pete Coleman from the Bohemian podcast. So today we're going to talk about Edmund Dickinson. And he lived from 1624 to 1707, so our typical golden age of alchemy, kind of alchemist. And he was a an English royal physician and alchemist, author of a syncretic philosophical system, which is pretty interesting, we'll, we'll talk about. So he, he was a son of the Reverend William Dickinson, rector of Appleton in Berkshire, now Oxfordshire, by his wife, daughter of Edmund Culpepper, and was born on the, the 26th of September in 1624. So he received his primary education at Eton College. Now he had kind of an interesting time at Oxford. So in 1642, he entered Merton College in Oxford, where he was admitted as one of the Eton postmasters. He took the degrees of, the, of BA on the 22nd of June, 1647, and was elected probationer fellow of his college. On the 27th of November, 1649, he had a degree of Master of Arts conferred upon him. Applying himself to the study of medicine, he obtained the degree of medical doctor on the 3rd of July, 1656. Dickinson's long-term interest in transmutational alchemy kind of began in Oxford, where he was visited about 1662 by a French adept known as Theodore Mondanos. Also kind of interesting character. In 1678 or 1679, so about 15 years later, Mondanos, Mondanus visited Dickinson again and performed two transmutations right before his eyes. Dickinson's subsequent inquiries about alchemy addressed to Mondanus uh, were published in, in Oxford as Epistola ad Mundanum de Contessia Philosorum, together with Mondanus' response, translated from the French into Latin. The French text survives to this day in the British Library. The, vo- the volume achieved much popularity, appearing in three editions. Yeah, so, so one of the letters... Okay, I, I can kind of quote it, I guess. So it said, um, in the, so University of Oxford, during the short stay I made there, I was so happy to become acquainted with you, and in that time was thoroughly sensible of the great charge and pains you had been at improving yourself in chemistry, with a Y. Upon this gentleman's second appearance in England in 1679, finding the doctor more addicted to his art than he imagined one of his great practice could find time for, to give him an undeniable testimony of the vast esteem he had for him, and to settle and confirm him in the belief of a probability of success in the great work, he made before him those two projections which he owns in the space of above forty years, in which he had been an adept, never to have been shown to more than three persons except the doctor. So referring to those transmutations, right? So John Evelyn once went to see him and recorded the visit. I went to see Dr. Dickinson, the famous chemist. We had a long conversation about the philosopher's elixir, which he believed attainable and had seen projection himself by one who went under the name Mundanus, who sometimes came among the adepts, but was unknown as to his country or abode. Of this doctor was written a treatise in Latin full of very astonishing relations. So this um, French doctor made quite an impression. While still a young man, he published a, a book under the title Delphi Phoenicizantis, in which he attempted to prove that the Greeks borrowed the story 
of Pythian Apollo from the Hebrew Scriptures. Anthony Wood says that Henry Jacob the Younger, and not Dickinson, was the author of this book. It appeared with a contribution from Zachary Bogan. This was followed by uh, Diatriba de Noia in Italium Adventu. Yeah, that. Yeah, he wrote some interesting books, actually. There's not just one, but about the um, Greeks borrowing or taking stories from the Bible. There's a, there's a the, couple more. The old more. Hebrew yeah. Old Testament Bible. Yeah, right. exactly. So Evelyn also associated Dickinson with the Interregnum Oxford group of virtuosi that later, later contributed to the formation of the Royal Society. So I got this next part from levity.com. I'll, I'll quote this too. This is from extracted from William Blomberg's An Account of the Life and Writings of Edmund Dickinson, who was the medical doctor, physician, and in ordinary to King Charles and King James II. Now, uh, we mentioned at the very beginning that he was a royal physician, right? So the alchemist Johann Joachim Becher claims in the dedication of his Tripos Hermeticus Fatidicus that in 1680 Dickinson, a court physician, helped Becher and introduced him to the court. So by him, the doctor was recommended to the king, Charles II, who appointed him one of his physicians in ordinary and physicians to the household. Charles took the doctor into special favor and had a laboratory, I love this part, this is crazy stuff, had a laboratory built in Whitehall Palace. Here the king could retire with George Villiers, second Duke of of Buckingham, and Dickinson, who exhibited chemical experiments. So Charles II, uh, wasn't he the Charles that had a gruesome end, or was that Charles III? I think the third, but I'm not sure. Yeah, okay. But um, so he was in the lab getting his hands dirty. Did you know that? I, I did not know that, my friend. But I know that Dickinson managed an alchemical laboratory built under the royal bedchamber and accessed by a private staircase. On the ascension of James II in 1685, Dickinson was confirmed in his royal appointments, continuing there until James' deposition in 1688, whereupon he retired from the practice. One thing to point out is that James II um, was kind of more addicted to his devotions than chemistry, right? So the doctor now kind of had more spare time on his hands because he wasn't getting his hands dirty in the lab with the, with the king, which is awesome. Um, so he now wrote more of his kind of famous works that we know him for today in. So he published his Epistola, which, we, which I quoted from. Yeah, and then later he published his Notions on Alchemy. The major work on which he spent his latest years was a system of philosophy set forth in Physica Vetus et Vera, which was published in 1702. So it basically asserted the literal truth of the six days of creation and presented a broad system of natural philosophy drawn from the Pentateuch and contemporary corpuscularism, basically, you know, atomic theory at the time. And it had passages from Greek and Latin writers as well as from the Bible. So same kind of theme as the other work. This lengthy work, some of which was, had, been, had to be rewritten after parts of the manuscript were accidentally burnt. So the book actually got some attention and was published in Rotterdam, in Lüberg. And another interesting note is that Cotton Mather of Salem Witch Trial Infamy drew on Dickinson's thinking in his Biblia Americana. Interesting. Yeah. It's a connection to the New World. Yep. You know, well, of course, when we get to the end of someone's life, it sometimes doesn't really end all that well. After suffering from bladder stones for over 20 years, Dickinson died at his house in St. Martin's Lane on April 3rd, 1707, aged 83 where a large black marble monument an elaborate, with an elaborate inscription was erected on the east wall, following the dictates of his will made on the September 11, 1705. Dickinson was survived by his daughter Elizabeth, then wife of Charles John 
Baron Blomberg and his four grandsons. His youngest grandson, William Nicholas Blomberg, who died in 1750, wrote a rambling biography of, of Dickinson, and being in possession of his grandfather's papers, Edmund left behind basically that manuscript in the Latin on the Grecian Games. So he published in 1739 a manuscript by Dickinson on the Grecian Games as an appendix to the biography second edition. So it's, it's interesting to see a guy like this that... Because um, we, we get the questions like, what kind of life did alchemists have? And my answer is like, everybody from uh, John Dee, who basically died Painless. deep in debt. Yeah, right. Kelly, who died with a you know broken leg, falling from a tower and yeah died yeah. of his injuries, trying to escape the king. To this kind of guy that was in the lab with a king, you know, trying to make the philosopher's stone with the king by his side. He had a gallbladder right? problem. Yeah, I mean, I mean that, that's a, that's the hardest end so, that he might so have. You so have, you lived a good life. Yeah. So you have the whole spectrum of destitute charlatans to destitute um, people with a lot of knowledge to really rich, rich royals physicians, you know, in the lab with kings. Can we call him a so, winner? Can we call a, him a he's winner? He's a winner. I'll quote, normally I don't, I wouldn't read you a whole recipe, but I will this time because it's in poem form and it's supposedly by Dickinson. So here's a poem. I'm not a great poem reader, but there you have it. Um, if you're not interested in hearing an al- a, a recipe in alchemy form, the rest of the podcast is done. You can just skip to the next episode. But um, I thought, okay, I'll probably post it on my website anyways. Just so we have one full recipe in alchemical language on the show, here's a whole alchemical recipe as a poem. So the work of Dickinson, work with a CK, by the way. Oh yeah, this is Old English spelling, so I might stumble here or there. But When Phoebus with his rays bright, through the rain takes his flight, his heat is then so nourishing, there's a lot of extra E's here, by the way, I should say, if you look at it, to the earth and every other thing, that sap and root doth then revive, by Phoebus' death attractive. Drawing by branches of the vine, water mingled with earth fine, containing also fire and air, which liquor on earth hath no peer. That probably rhymes in the original English. Chaos veterum, some do it call. Confused in it the elements all. Wherefore draw thou a water bright, containing in it fire's might. And in the residence thou shalt find an earth black as man of eind. Which into Luna thou look thou through, till it be whiter than the snow. That probably rhymed too. That earth put in a glass fair, and put thereto of his water clear. But close the, close the mouth well of the glass, that the spirit do not outpass. A day's space, then let them stand, to be buried in cold sand. Then do it in a bath of lent heat, that faint water it may outsweat. That probably rhymed too. So weak water thou shalt up still, but fire beneath the earth will dwell. When all the faint water is drew, and fire left in the earth below, then of this water put on more and do as erst thou didst before but oftentimes thou must do this to get much store of fire i wis so when thy fire is multiplied which still below in earth will bide then hast thou got a burning fire that draw forth at thy own desire for earth with his attractive might keeps down with him the fire bright first hide the fire the earth within and afterward look thou them twine Thus Raymond meant when he did say, that's Raymond Lowell, by the way, abscond ignum et intimis terrae, then set thy glass in dry fire, till the white fumes do appear, receive the same clouds bright, 
which torn the water great of might. This water, if thou dost not know, some things thereof I will, thou, I will thee show, of which philosophers mean from bulls of the earth updraw. By Phoebus might as of erst was shown, mercury vegetable, it is without doubt, that causeth crop and root to sprout. Ignis humidus forsooth it is, the comfort of our life I whiz. Mercury vegetable, that men of clatter, that reduceth gold to his first matter. This is the key that all must done, to open the bodies of sun and moon, also the menstrual vegetative, the mental, the metalline body that doth revive, the menstrual resolutive is the thing, which the menstruum resolved forth doth bring, then rectify this water of might, and do in it a bryson bright, which thou that turn to this first matter, I doth ice and warm water, and so together thou must convert, that never asunder they shall depart, then circulate them so... Then circulate them so thou shall, to heal in man diseases all. For then thou hast electrum right, the first essence of the sun bright. This is the philosopher's sulfur vive, the tincture led their gold of life. Likewise, Luna, thou mayst reduce to serve thee to an other use. If thou hast grace, then mayst thou find a water of an other kind, which faster to the metal doth cleave, engendered in the earth beneath, reduce him rightly into water, which of metals is first matter, whose parts do divide thou shall into earth and water mineral, that after they may conjoin be to cure in metals leprosy. And for all the other of, of true working, that was not spelled right, in figures is that down everything, to make white stone and the red, elixir vitae, to put away dread, to show the order I mean truly, for workers in, in books dis, disordered be, and keep the secret I thee pray, as, as thou wilt answer it at doomsday, and keep it out of wicked hands, which in no fear of God stands, and keep it well in safety, to guide thy, bedre, thy brethren eke and thee, the key of all this here in brief, which erst by none was e'er so, so rife, and look that I, thou live aright, and serve the Lord in truth and spite, and do good deeds unto the poor, so thou shalt live forevermore. Um, so in the original British accent, that probably rhymed a lot more, but uh, I appreciate you bearing with me through that. So thanks a lot for listening. Take care. You've been listening to the History of Alchemy podcast with Travis Dow and Pete Coleman. For more information about this episode, other episodes, and other information about alchemy, alchemists, and related subjects, visit historyofalchemy.com. Find us on iTunes, subscribe, review, and don't forget to rate us. We'd love to hear from you. Send your comments, ideas, and corrections to podcast at historyofalchemy.com or get in touch via Facebook on the History of Alchemy podcast page or Twitter at Alchemy Podcast. Tune in to our sister podcast all about the Czech Republic, Bohemica which is also available on iTunes or on behemican.com. Until next time on the History of Alchemy podcast, thank you for listening. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.